2: Matilda was faced with this kind of almost impossible dilemma. The way to be a good medieval monarch in the context of the 12th century is to be authoritarian, harsh. But as soon as she acted like that, she was criticised for not being, quote, womanly enough. But on the other hand, if she had acted in what they would call a more womanly way, you know, if she just sat there being guided by her advisers and going, oh, yes, you know, you do what you like, I'll just sit here with my embroidery, that would also have been used as evidence that she was not tough enough to rule.
3: That was Catherine Hanley on the challenges facing Empress Matilda in the 12th century. of one of the most powerful women in medieval England. Our staff writer, Ellie Cawthorne paid a visit to her Somerset home recently to find out more.
0: For today's podcast, I'm in Somerset, joined by the historical writer and researcher, Catherine Hanley. Catherine is the author of a new book, Matilda, Empress, Queen, Warrior, which follows the dramatic life of the 12th century royal leader, Matilda, who battled her cousin Stephen for the English throne. So to start us off, could you... Help listeners at home by giving us a potted biography of who Matilda was. So
2: Matilda was the person who should have become England's first queen regnant. She was the daughter of King Henry I, uh, who was himself the son of William the Conqueror, so that places them. Um, Henry and his queen had two children, a son and a daughter, and his expectation originally was that his son William would follow him on the throne but William drowned in an accident, quite a famous accident called the White Ship Disaster in 1120 when he was 17. And this left Henry, who was by now a widower, with just one legitimate child, his daughter, Matilda. Now he was quite keen that he should be succeeded on the throne by a child of his own, but this was unprecedented to leave the throne to a woman. And the only reason that he could really even vaguely consider this possible was because of who she was, because of the sort of character and experience that she already had. So she had been brought up originally in the expectation that she would be a queen consort. She would marry a foreign prince or a foreign king and and she would um, help Henry form a strategic alliance and she would go and live there. And indeed, this is what happened. She was shipped off to marry the emperor the man we would later call the Holy Roman Emperor, um, when she was just eight years old. She was sent away from her mother, her father, her brother, everything that she knew, to a foreign country, German-speaking country, to marry a man who was much older than her and whom she had never met. Now, this would have caused a lot of children to Collapse in a heap, probably. I mean, these days it's the sort of thing that we understand could traumatize a child for life, but you know, different rules applied in the 12th century, and, and she had no choice, so she went. And she grabbed hold of the opportunity with both hands. By the time she was 12, she was multilingual, she had a fine grasp of the politics of the empire. By the time she was 14, she went with him to Rome and she was crowned as his empress. And by the time she was 16, she was ruling Italy on his behalf as his regent. You know, this is a woman who knew what she was doing. And at that point, it looked like her future was going to lie in the empire. But then the news came to her that her brother had drowned. Um, And then a couple of years after that, she was widowed when her husband, Emperor Henry, died. And she had no children. She didn't need to act as a regent for anyone in the empire. So... She went back to Normandy and and then England, and she was named by Henry as the heir to the English throne. And this threw a lot of people into a quandary. The barons, the nobles of England all took a public oath that once Henry was dead, they would support Matilda's claim to the throne. And among the people that took that oath was her cousin, Stephen. Matilda continued um, in the position of Henry's heir And she had to get married again because there's no point naming a childless, unmarried woman as your heir because the situation is just going to be replicated in a few years time when she dies with no children of her own. Um, So her father arranged another marriage for her to Geoffrey, who was the son of the Count of Anjou, known as Geoffrey Plantagenet from his habit of wearing a sprig of broom called Plantagenista in his hat. The first man to bear the name Plantagenet. The problem was um, Matilda didn't like this marriage. She was the widow of an emperor and the daughter of a king, and he was the son of a count. She was, at the time the marriage was organized, she was 25 and Geoffrey was 13. Um, But she had no choice. If she wanted to be a serious contender for the English throne, she had to get married. She had to grit her teeth. She had to do what her father wanted. So she did it. Marriage was a bit of a disaster to start with. They didn't get on very well. They separated. Eventually, they were forced to get back together and they produced the all-important son, followed shortly by a second son, which is always a good, good backup. Um, And everything seemed to be fairly rosy. She she was married. She had two sons of her own. She was recognized as her father's heir. But then her father died. Henry I died in December of 1135, um, at which point he was in Normandy, but Matilda was in Anjou. She was hundreds of miles away. So the news did not reach her um, for, we don't know exactly when, but it would have taken at least a week for the news to reach her. And during that time, somebody else saw his chance and he took it. Her cousin Stephen took advantage of the fact that the barons were all a bit cagey about having a woman ruling over them. He was in Boulogne at the time, which is the closest place to cross the Channel. And before Matilda had even heard of her father's death, Stephen had crossed the Channel, secured the royal treasury, ridden to London, had himself crowned as king. As far as anyone's concerned, England's got a new king. It's Stephen, and Matilda's written out of the story. Many people, particularly many women in a 12th century context, might have just given up. Matilda was not the sort of person who was going to give up. Um, she spent a few years um, having to stay where she was because she didn't have the, the resource um, to to enable her to launch an attack on England. But in a few years' time... The resource came to her in the defection of her half-brother, Robert of Gloucester, from Stephen's cause. So Robert of Gloucester was the son of Henry I, but he was illegitimate. So he himself could not have a claim to the throne. And he threw his considerable uh, riches and resources and weight behind Matilda, and this allowed her to invade England, which she did.
0: Again and again in this story, the fact that Matilda was a woman Mm-hmm. comes into play, it's kind of an in- inevitable um, obstacle that she faced. Yes. Um, the way that we're told the story um, is also shaped by the fact she was a woman. A lot of um, your story is reconstructed through chroniclers. Mm-hmm. Um, how much did her gender affect the way that they wrote about Matilda?
2: Oh, very significantly. So um, first of all, the people who were writing these chronicles were all men. And secondly, the vast majority of them were clerical men. So monks, abbots, things like that. So not only were they male, but they represented a particular subset of the male population that didn't really come into contact with many women. Um, And they just couldn't believe or cope with the concept that a woman either might wish to wield power or might be capable of doing so. So women, as it happened, did Wielded a lot of power at the time, but they had to do it um, on behalf of male relatives. So nobody made a fuss about um, Matilda ruling Italy when she was in her late teens, because she was officially doing it as the regent for her husband. Similarly, her own mother, Queen Edith Matilda, had often acted as regent in England when Henry I was in Normandy. Nobody makes a fuss about this because that female authority is safely contained, if you like, within male power structures. Um, but Matilda's claim for the throne was not that she wanted to be a regent or a consort or anything like that. It was her claim was that she was the legitimate heir and therefore the crown was hers. So she's actually not really even trying to become queen, okay? because the word queen at the time didn't have a concept of ruling authority. The word queen means the wife of the king. So effectively, what she's trying to become is not the queen of England, but a female king of England. And and this was just a concept that, you know, people couldn't cope with. And the chroniclers in particular were were very much up in arms about it. And you can see um, as her campaign goes on that a lot of the ways in which they criticize her are explicitly gendered.
0: You mentioned earlier that um, Matilda really didn't have to fight for the English throne. Her survival wasn't dependent on it Mm -hmm. at all. In fact, she had quite a comfortable position back Mm -hmm. in Europe as the Countess of Anjou. What do you think drove her to risk everything, really, by taking on Stephen for the throne? A combination of factors, I think. Firstly,
2: although being Countess of Anjou was a comfortable existence, it's not empress... It's not queen. It's not king. Um, it's it is definitely a step down from what she had been used to, um, and also, you know, she'd had her expectations raised when she was a child. The expectation was that she would be a consort. Fine, um, but for ten years she had been recognised as the heir to the throne of England. And, I mean, if you think about it, she's the only surviving legitimate child of the previous king. She's been recognised publicly as the heir. She is an adult of vast political and governmental experience. I mean, that should have been the easiest handover of power in history. You know, most medieval kings would bite your hand off if you, if you gave them the chance to be succeeded by somebody like that. And it was solely the fact that she was Henry's daughter rather than Henry's son Um, that this came about. You know, if she'd been Henry's son, who was a multilingual, talented, experienced adult, nobody would have batted an eyelid at her succeeding to the English
0: throne. I think from um, events like that, we can infer things about Matilda herself, about her Mm -hmm. character, that she was determined, that she was, like you say, incredibly able. Mm -hmm. What else can we infer about her character and her personality? Well, we can
2: infer firstly that she was the sort of person who would not give up. I mean, there was a period between 1135 and 1138 where Stephen has been crowned as the King of England. He's recognised by everybody as the king. He's in possession of the throne. She's stuck in Anjou. She's pregnant at this time again for a third time, which means that it's obviously difficult to, you know, Travelling was quite a physical activity at the time. And if you're, if you're pregnant, obviously, um, that, that made it a lot more difficult. And she had no resource, nobody on her side. It would have been really easy to just give up and think, well, fair enough. You know, Countess of Anjou it is then. And she didn't. Um, but crucially, I think that a lot of the descriptions of Matilda later on have got it wrong. And I think that they've got it wrong because she was a woman. At the point in 1141, where she'd had a lot of success and she had Stephen in her custody um, after the Battle of Lincoln, and she was on her way to be crowned the monarch of of England, we start to get an awful lot of criticism in the Chronicles. And the things they criticise her for are things like she decided that she wanted to arrange things according to her own will. She didn't listen to her her advisers. She began to walk and talk with authority. She left behind the, you know, the gentle bearing appropriate to her sex and began to be authoritative. Now, these are all comments that if aimed at a man who was about to be crowned would, you know, would would probably sound like compliments. Um, But in Matilda's case, they weren't. And a lot of the narrative that's built up over the years is that, you know, the standard narrative is that Matilda came very close to claiming the throne and then she was revealed to be haughty and arrogant, not suitable for it. And England was, you know, saved from the prospect of having this arrogant woman in charge of it um, because everyone realised what her true character was. And I don't think that's the case. Um as I say, I think if you aimed exactly those comments at a man, you know they would sound quite complimentary. You know she was acting with authority because those were the examples that she had been set. Okay, the two most effective rulers of the age were Henry I, her father, who was authoritative to the point of being cruel, and her husband Emperor Henry, who you know had um, half of Western Europe in his grip. The way to be an effective king is to be an authority figure. Being all wishy-washy isn't gonna help. And a a couple of examples of of, uh, people who'd been sort of less than authoritative, her uncle, Robert Curthose, who was um, William the Conqueror's eldest son, who had become Duke of Normandy, was known to be a lovely, affable, friendly sort of person, which made him a hopeless Duke of Normandy. And so Mat- Matilda was faced with this kind of almost impossible dilemma. The way to be a good medieval monarch, a good monarch in the context of the 12th century, is to be authoritarian, harsh. But as soon as she acted like that, she was criticised for not being, quote, womanly enough. But on the other hand, if she had acted in what they would call a more womanly way, you know, if she just sat there being guided by her advisors and going, oh, yes, you know, you do what you like. I'll just sit here with my embroidery. That would also have been used as evidence that she was not tough enough to rule. So she's kind of stuck in this situation, you know, in her head, she's just perfectly capable of ruling, but people are not listening to what's coming out of her mouth because she's not a man. And 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 so she was in this almost impossible situation. And so eventually what she realised in a, in a great feat of self-awareness was that she was never going to sit on the throne of England herself. She'd come very close to it. There'd been this huge backlash against her and she'd been chased away from Westminster and not crowned. And if she had been the haughty, arrogant person that people think that she was, she would have kept going. She would have kept saying, no, it's my crown. I'm going to fight for it, even when all was lost. But she was self-aware enough to realize that this was not going to happen, and that she had to fit herself into the male power structures. So she switched tack. And she said, now I'm fighting on behalf of my son. My son, Henry, is the true heir to his grandfather, Henry I. And once she switched fighting on behalf of her son, her attitude became a lot more palatable.
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster.
0: Stephen and Matilda's battle for the throne um, is often known traditionally as the Anarchy. Yes. Do you think that that's a fair title? Was England really in anarchy? How much turmoil did it create? Well,
2: there is some discussion on that point as to how anarchical was the Anarchy. It was certainly very, very confusing. Matilda um, positioned herself in in many ways as that rightful monarch. I mean, there were coins minted with her face on them and she gave away royal appointments um earldoms ca- um, castles cast ships. so it's quite possible that the two different people could be appointed the earl of somewhere one by stephen and one by matilda and obviously this made life very very difficult for the you know the common people who were just trying to get on with their lives and probably weren't all that bothered about who sat on the throne as as long as there was going to be peace and they could get on with their their trade and their farming. And then they've got, you know, two earls, both either calling them up to fight in their army or or trying to raise taxes from them. And, you know, who do they go for? What happens? Um, and both armies were, of course, trying to get resources, living off the land. You know, it would be quite possible to find your fields devastated by one side one day and by somebody else the next week. So in that sense, it was... It was anarchy. You know, there were still functioning government structures and, and and things like that. So it wasn't complete chaos. But certainly, if you were, a you know, a, a farmer, life probably wasn't all that pleasant.
0: You mention her son Henry did become Stephen's heir through a negotiated mm-hmm. settlement. Would you see that as a victory for Matilda or was it just a concession in a humiliating defeat? Well, it's very difficult because it's a bit of both. I mean, on the one hand,
2: um, she's succeeded in her overall quest. Okay, she hasn't sat, sat on the throne, but she has ensured that the person who will succeed Stephen is her son and not his son, which is a great victory. It's what she's been fighting all these years. But the actual treaty that drew it up is basically a bit of a slap in the face. Stephen's claim to the throne, his own claim, was not based on hereditary succession. It was based on the fact of his coronation. People were trying to claim that Henry, who who became Henry II, was the king by hereditary succession from Henry I. The question would arise as to why he was not king already instead of Stephen. Um, But if the throne was to be passed in hereditary succession from Stephen, the question would arise as to why was it not his own son? and not Henry. So legally they had to work out this kind of fudge if you like. So officially Stephen adopted Henry as his son. Okay, so that he could say um I'm the king because I've got the crown on my head um and I'm leaving the throne um in good succession order to to Henry who will be from now on, you know, effectively my beloved son. So after everything that Matilda has done all these years to fight and fight to put her son on the throne, um, officially Henry is becoming king because he's, quote, Stephen's son.
0: And honestly, you know, if that was me, I'd be wanting to put my fist through a wall. (laughs) Of course, Matilda's son Henry did go on to become king Mm -hmm. and she um, was then Queen Mother. Yes. What kind of role did she have as Queen Mother? How politically influential was she? Um, she had a great deal of influence on on her son.
2: So um, one thing we have to remember is at the time that Henry was crowned King of England, he was 21 and he was already the Duke of Normandy and the Count of Anjou. And in right of his wife, Eleanor of Aquitaine, he was also the Duke of Aquitaine. If you think about that in terms of a map, he's got this vast geographical area that he is in charge of and he can't be in all of it at once. So um, to start with, obviously, when you've just been crowned King of England, you want to concentrate your attentions on England. And so Matilda was left as um, the Duchess of Normandy. So this is probably quite galling in some respects in that she'd spent years trying to be recognised as Queen of England and Duchess of Normandy in her own right. Um, And now she is ruling it, but only on behalf of her son. And she was very, very good at it. Um, you know, Normandy could be quite a difficult place in the 12th century. You know, barons not getting on with each other, starting private wars. There's always the threat of the King of France wanting to encroach on the borders. There's rebellions. And, you know, she kept it all in hand. Um, She was a very good advisor to Henry. Um, If we take two examples, one of Henry's Early ideas when he became king of England was that he would uh, he wanted to conquer Ireland um, to give it to his brother, his younger brother, to rule over. Matilda persuaded him not to, um, mainly, I think, because she thought he would be spreading himself far too thinly. The Irish Sea could be quite choppy, and if he was in Ireland, it would be quite possible that he would get stuck there for months, which you know wouldn't help the rest of his realm. So he agreed with her and, and shelved this idea for a while. Um, And then he had this other great idea that he was going to get his friend Thomas Beckett to be Archbishop of Canterbury. And Matilda really thought that this was a bad idea and she advised him against it. Really should have listened to his mother um, and that would have solved a lot of problems. And she actually acted as an intermediary um, between them. And there's an absolutely fabulous letter where um, Thomas Beckett has written to her asking her for help um, to be an intermediary with her son, and she basically just slaps him down, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and tells him to stop making such a fuss. She's a woman at this stage in her 60s, which is a fair age for the, for the 12th century, especially when you add up, you know, all the mileage of all the places that she's traveled to and the things that she's done. And she's negotiating with the new emperor, she's negotiating with the king of France, you know, she's doing all this. For her son until she 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 died. Um, but you know, there aren't many unsuccessful claimants to the throne of England who've died in their beds peacefully of old age while being recognized as you know the senior stateswoman of Europe. So you've got to count that as a win, really, even though she never sat on the throne. Every single monarch of England and, and later of Great Britain is directly descended from Matilda. Even the the Georges, the Hanoverians and the Stuarts, they're all directly descended from her. Not always by male primogeniture, which she might have been quite pleased to know, sometimes through a female line, but they've all been descended from her. And she also left this legacy of having been an influential queen mother. And this was a baton that was picked up by others. I mean, most notably Eleanor of Aquitaine, her daughter-in-law. And although she didn't sit on the throne herself, the the precedent was set, if you like, that the crown could be passed through the female line. And this was to have a, a lot of effect later on during you know, the Wars of the Roses and some of the later
0: succession issues. Um, As the subtitle of your book suggests, Matilda had very different roles throughout her life. She Mm -hmm. was an empress, she was a mother, she was a queen, Mm -hmm. she was a wife. Mm -hmm. Um, Which area do you think that she had the most significance in? What was her most important role? I would
2: say probably the later part of her life, when her son was on the throne, but she was his guider, his advisor um, and his regent. I think that was the point at which she was able to wield power most effectively. And that is sort of where she's had the greatest legacy. I mean, he wouldn't have been on the throne in the first place if it hadn't been for her. If she hadn't upped and spent all these years fighting for his rights, he would have been the provincial count of Anjou. Matilda, if she looked at her own life, I would guess she'd probably say, well, you know, didn't do that well, didn't achieve all my aims. But, you know, with, with these great influential figures, you've got to look at beyond the span of their own lifetime. And I think that what she achieved in the later part of her life, when, of course, women were quite likely to be erased anywhere. I mean, there's anything worse than being a woman, it's being an older woman at the time, you know, being being not taken seriously. Um, and the fact that she managed to hold on to that authority and that the king, the fact that he listened to her, Thomas Beckett aside, um you know, was a great thing for
0: her and also for the example of other matriarchs. Um, Why do you think that Matilda's story is an important one to tell? Why do you think the world needs a new biography of Matilda?
2: Well, I mean, the world always needs more Matilda, but, you know, specifically, I think it's it's funny how things, you know, reinvent themselves, everything comes around. So we're talking about something that happened over 800 years ago, and there are still echoes of the same thing happening now, okay? While I was writing the, the early part of this book, um, the American presidential election was going on um, and we were seeing both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in in the news quite frequently and the ways in which they were portrayed. They were portrayed differently from each other in the media and I remember one particular day where I saw two articles about Hillary Clinton, One saying she smiled too much and the other one saying she didn't smile enough, neither of which really talked about her policies. And I just thought, you know, how many 837, 800 and however many it was years and this is still happening? And it happens to other women as well. There is a distinct difference in the portrayal of women in the press. Matilda's biography is not necessarily meant to be a parable for our times. Um, It's just that, you know, as I was writing it, I was struck by the fact that, that some things have, changed massively in eight centuries you know nobody bats an eyelid at there being a woman on the English throne now but equally there are many other things that haven't changed at all um, and I think it's interesting to to look at those
3: that was Catherine Hanley Matilda Empress Queen Warrior It's out next month in the UK published by Yale University Press and in the US, it's due out in April from the same publisher. And you can read a version of this interview in the March edition of BBC History magazine, which has just gone on sale in the UK and worldwide in our digital formats. Also in this month's issue, there are articles on the Victorian underworld, the Viking women, the British Empire, the Russian Civil War, and a whole lot more. Look out for it in all good retailers now. And that's about all for today, but we'll be back on Monday when Bart Van Ness will be discussing his award-winning World War II biography, The Cutout Girl.
0: Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Jack Fletcher. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing podcast at historyextra.com and we might read out your messages in future editions. Alternatively, why not keep in touch via Twitter or Facebook, where you'll find us at History Extra. For more great history content, don't forget to visit our website, HistoryExtra.com, which is full of history articles, quizzes, image galleries, and more. Plus, it's where you can download hundreds of previous episodes of this podcast.